Have you ever had a dream as a child or heck, even as an adult, and you had your mind set on that dream? How you thought life was going to certainly take you in one direction and then an event or a trip or maybe an experience completely shifts everything for you. And you realize that the thing you thought you were supposed to do is now no longer the thing you thought you were supposed to do. I mean, for me personally, I spent nearly my entire first quarter of my life dreaming of being on Saturday Night Live. It was all I ever wanted to do was to make people laugh for a living. And then life took a turn, a pretty big turn. And my life now looks so different than what I thought it would originally look like. But for that, I'm incredibly thankful. And I'm now in so many ways living a life that is much richer and fuller than I could have ever anticipated or planned. I'm so thankful that God's plans are way better than mine. I'm thankful for the twists life took me on and honestly, the redirection I took because for that, I wouldn't be where I am today. Have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever felt like that? It's not all that uncommon. Has the life twists and turns also impacted the lives of others or those around you? Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com, and this show's all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, a community leader, or just an amazing person who's trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is Luke Berlin, the founder of Neagle, a platform dedicated to making ethical shopping easier for the consumer and connecting consumers to ethical and sustainable brands. Luke has an incredible story. He, at one point, thought he was going to be a doctor, and now he's working in the tech industry, and I know you are going to love him. He actually was in Bali, like Indonesia, Bali, when we talked, so it's just so fun to have people all over the world connecting on this show. So without further ado, on to the episode with Luke. Hey, Luke, welcome to the show. Hey, Molly, thanks for having me. I am honored to have you on the show. For one, the fact that you are pretty much on the other side of the world right now. So you are currently in Bali, right? I am currently in Bali, not too far from an active volcano. I was going to ask, I said, are you, are you there stranded or are you there by choice? <laughs> no, no, I am not stranded, at least not yet. Uh, I'm still here by choice. So let's see how it goes for the next couple of days. I was So I'm going to ask, I have to ask, what... So what has it been like? How long have you been there? Um, this is, you know, obviously this is all over the news right now, even here in the in the U.S. So what um, what brought you over to Bali and, and what has it been like being not too far from a very active volcano? Yeah, well, I've been in Bali for about three weeks um, and I am scheduled to be here for a month. So uh, fortunately, the volcano has sort of been doing its thing and um, it's on the eastern side of the island and I'm on the western side. So there's not been that much disruption except one or two days at the airport shut down. But otherwise, from where I am, you actually have no idea that there is a volcano going on. So, um, and what's brought me to Bali? I've been traveling for the past couple of months now while I've been working on on Meagle as a project. And um, Bali is actually a, a, a fascinating location because mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of um, ethical companies um, are based or operate here. So it's a great place to sort of see um, entrepreneurs who care about the environment and care about a different 
um, lifestyle and, and wanting to merge the two to create um, products and companies that, that people care about and that certainly make the world a better place. So um, after being in Europe for a couple of months, Bali felt like the right place to, to come and settle down for, for a month and, um, and get to meet some people. That is so cool. I, um, I have a cousin who spent quite a bit of time in Bali, I think uh, maybe even a few years, and she's scheduled to go back here in the next couple of weeks. And there's a lot of uncertainty as to whether or not she's going to be able to get in because of the volcano. So, um, but that's, that is awesome. Um, I don't have a lot of experience around being around active volcanoes, except for one in Costa Rica, but that's about it. So, um, I love Costa Rica. It's one of my favorite countries. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I, um, I chaperoned when I used to be a high school teacher back in the day, back in my, in a previous life. Um, and it's about, it was about 10 years ago and I chaperoned a field trip to Costa Rica over the summer. And we kind of went all around the country and we spent some time around the Arenal volcano, which is pretty much constantly active. And there's like one entire side of the volcano that just pretty much has lava flowing from it at all times. And we stayed at this resort, or not resort, but just like a hotel kind of (laughs) down. It was not really a resort. It was just like a hotel kind of down from the volcano. And one night, it was just a super clear night. We're all just kind of hanging out outside after dinner. And it was you know, very dark. And all you could see, you know, just, I mean, really not that far away was just kind of the tip of the volcano just glowing. And then right. at one point, it just kind of the lava just sort of burped. I don't know. That's the only way I can right, really yeah. describe it. Like and it just started, yeah, and it just starts spewing into the air. It was, it was pretty awesome. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, yeah no, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. And, you know, I, I've, and I've shared this with, with a few people. It's like, it's, it's such um, a welcome, at least to me, it's such a welcome reminder that as humans, we're we're fortunately not at the point where we can control everything and just mm-hmm. j- j- see Mother Nature just just do her thing and and create what she's been creating for for a very long time. Right? It, it's it's it, it's pretty special. I mean, it hopefully, really um, you know, everyone is safe or as many people as safe as possible. Yeah. But it's 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 a pretty cool. It is. It is. It is. Um, and your friends should be able to come because yeah. there are flights coming into Bali and oh, leaving good. Bali, and and it's been it's 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 been great, honestly. Oh, that's great. Good. Um, so I realized I, I kind of went totally backwards here, and I but I was so excited to find out that you were in Bali, and I was like, well, we have to talk about this right away. I mean, it's the elephant in the room. Um, but I want right. to get to know you, Luke. So I'm going to have you give what I have all my guests give, and that is the Luke 101. So tell us your story and uh, all of the things that have led you to where you are today yeah absolutely well I, I think um personally not to like to my own horn I think it's it's a bit of a fascinating story um I I was born in Cameroon and then I spent some years there and then moved to the United States to to to, to go to college and back in 2003 you know I I say a past life, but I was actually studying medicine and I was going to oh, wow. go to medical school. So I got accepted in this amazing program um, by the University of Maryland School of Medicine that was developing the world's first vaccine against malaria. Wow. And um, I got to travel with with um, the, the university and spend two months in Mali doing research on on malaria and worked with you know doctors from the NIH to the WHO. So as a, I don't know, 20, 20, 19 year old, 
um, one of the youngest to be selected for the, in that program was was an amazing experience. Wow. But one thing that really touched me, Molly, was I got to really see close hand how um, selfless people are, and 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 not people who have a lot of things to give, but people actually by looking at our at our standards of those of us who live in the West would feel like they have absolutely nothing, mm-hmm. but yet they dedicated their life to to you know resolve a a, 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 a global problem that kills um, um i think roughly like over five million kids a year yeah. under the age of five still out of malaria yeah. and and that really inspired me to to um to you know to, to try to live a life um with purpose right so, yeah. not to sound cliche no, but it's true um and then came back to the u.s and tried to figure out what it is i wanted to do um, got a job in technology and felt like, okay, I, you know, I believe in technology. I, I, I think it, technology as we know it, specifically with the emergence of the internet back then, um, had the possibility to truly not just change the way people live, but drastically improve their lives um, by bringing services and products to them that they cared about, but also creating economic opportunities for themselves. And, you know, Taking that experience in Mali, taking my love for technology, and that was roughly around the time that Tom's shoes came out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is amazing. I can buy a pair of shoes and automatically some kid somewhere who needs one gets one. And I was like, this is this is what it's all about. Like, you know, as as a consumer, that was a business model that spoke very highly to me. Um, and, and so, but a couple of years went by and I just started realizing that like, you know, besides Tom's and Warby Parker and a few other brands, I had no idea, right? There was no visibility for many of these brands. And, and I said, well, what if we made it, what if we automated that discovery process? What if we made it easier for people to discover ethical brands as they're shopping online based on what products they're shopping for. Yeah. And um, that's how the idea of what I call Meagle 2.0 um, was born. And, and that's what we've been working on over the past um, 18 months or so. Wow. What did uh, Meagle 1.0 look like? And where did that um, where did that idea origin- originate? Yes. So Meagle 1.0, and you know, you're probably going to love this, was... <laughs> um, was a social innovation platform, Molly. And what I was trying to do, I think it was a brilliant idea, slightly ahead of my time, but what I was trying to do, I understood that one of the most difficult things, one of the things that kept people from achieving whatever economic um, goals they had for themselves was that, was, was that they didn't have the right resources to make, to make those happen. And by resources, it's not just money, it's emotional support, it's practical support it's intellectual support and so Meagle 1.0 i was trying to build a social innovation platform that was powered by an algorithm that if you were working on a project molly like it would help you find people all over the world who shared a similar interest in the project that you were working for but had complementary skills and you could use your social network as degrees of separation between you and those people so it would actually tell you oh, here is Joe who lives in Singapore and is also interested in e-commerce, for example, ethical Mm -hmm. e-commerce, 
but Joe is a developer and let's say I'm a, I'm a business person. And it's going to show me within two degrees of separation, people that I may know that know someone that Joe may knows and then facilitate an introduction. Um, and so we started working on that. And when we noticed that the product and market fit wasn't quite there, um, people were a lot more interested in crowdfunding platforms and all that stuff. And so telling them that, Hey, money is not the only thing that matters. Like finding the right person to work with and yeah. getting emotional support and all that stuff, like probably didn't resonate very well, but it's a project that I hold very dear to heart. And I really hope that, you know, I, I, I can go back and, and, and try to finish it, but that was Meagle 1.0. Um, and then I decided, well, let's apply that same concept into something that's a little bit more transactional, something that hits a little bit more at home, something that everyone understands because everyone does, which is shopping. So um, tweak the few things, tweak the business model and get into the space of ethical e-commerce. Amazing. Now, what is the, where does the name come from? So Meagle comes from two names, um, uh, two words, I should say. One is Mingle, um, and the other one is Ideas. So going back to the the original uh, purpose of of the platform, it was was a place where people could come and mingle Mm -hmm. around ideas. And the the original logo was um, the two, I replaced one of the ends on Mingle, the N on Mingle with another I from Ideas, and there was an overlapping speech bubble between the two I's. So it actually showed Mingle, but with two two people with an overlapping speech bubble. If you can visualize that, yeah, yeah, um, right. And so the idea is that from 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 the core, you know, I, I, I didn't just want to build a, a a tech company. I wanted to build a community, um, and so showing that engagement between people. Um, was something that was extremely important for me. And so even though we slightly pivoted the idea, we wanted to keep the name because um, Meagle right now, I see it really more as a product, but as a company, Mm -hmm. what we're striving for is to be a technology company that puts people first. Um, And so that sense of community is something that um, I believe in and I want it to be a part of, of who we are. Yes, yes, I love that. Now, I was doing a little bit of reading on you before we uh, before we connected, and um, the early, you know, you share a little bit on your website about the early years, and as you were, you know, spending some time in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley, you ran into some yeah. some challenges. Um, can you mm-hmm. would you care to kind of share that story and and what that looked like for you? Yeah, well, I I mean, I think the the, the biggest challenge is a challenge that um, any innovator faces. Um, which is, you know, how do you how do you take your 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 idea, your concept, your baby, or however you want to call it, and and grow it into something that brings value into people? And as you know, as part of an entrepreneur, like we sometimes have to rely on outside help. And the biggest challenge I found was that it, you know people were not willing to help me out, and, um, and and that people actually, you know, were were thinking very condescendingly about what I was trying to do because I wasn't part of some boys club. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and I mean, it's, it's, this, it's a sad reality of that's how, that's how business is. And, um, but I think what it shows is that we've, well, at least for some people, um, they've allowed their ego um, to get in the way of doing what is right um, to other people. Um, and, 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 I, and I, and I, and I, Fullheartedly believe that you know 
if I am in a position to help someone, um, then it's a bit of a responsibility to help them. But I'm not going to go and, and dwell into you know the nuances of, of Silicon Valley and things that happen. But the, the the big challenge was that I needed uh, or we needed as a company to figure out what the right fit was um, for for the product and. Um, you know, we were expecting that people would feel a little bit more, um, would feel a, bit, a lot warmer towards what we were trying to accomplish, and that was not the case. So we just had to figure out ways to to keep pushing along, and that's what we did. That just shows such perseverance, and I think that can be so encouraging for a lot of entrepreneurs because, I mean, well, all entrepreneurs really, because right. every business owner knows that they're running a business is not easy and it takes a lot of work and there are going to be a lot of hurdles and a lot of challenges along the way. Um, and sometimes it can be, I was actually having this conversation with a friend over lunch the other day. We were talking about how nobody wants to hear, no business owner wants to hear the story of the overnight success and no business right. owner wants to hear the story of the person who never had, you know, any type of troubles along the way and everything right. was easy you know, other business owners want to hear the story of the successful business owner who had a lot of doors shut and a lot right. of no's and was, you know, broke for a while. I mean, that because right. that's that's the reality. That's of, reality. Of, of, of most of it, right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I have to ask, you know, as somebody who started out as pre-med and you go to Mali to spend time doing research on creating a vaccine for malaria, and then you come back to the United States, what was the real, what did it look like to make that decision to say, you know what, I'm not going to do medicine, I'm going into technology. And then how did, how did you do that? Did you go to school for technology? Did you, you know, take some classes or did you just start networking with people? Like how, how did you do that? To be honest, it was pure luck. <laughs> um, it, like it, you know, you know, I knew I didn't want to go to medicine anymore because I, growing up, Molly, I've always been sort of very weird. So the the one thing I didn't tell is that when I was I was so I studied biochemistry at UCLA, but at the same time I was studying biochemistry, I was also studying cinematography. So I've always been a very like artistic, but also. Um, scientific person and I felt super comfortable speaking to developers as well as I feel comfortable speaking to writers and 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 designers and I enjoy both and what I discovered was that going pursuing a career in medicine would allow, would wouldn't allow me to foster my artistic side and just taking classes in biochemistry and just how regard, like, rigorous that that um, that curriculum was I, I was already starting to feel it and I was like this is not the life I want like I, I don't, I don't want to be a doctor because I don't want to. I, I don't want my life tied up to a, to a beeper, and, and and it was actually a very, very challenging time for me because I went into UCLA with scholarships, um, you know, and, and people had expectations about what I could achieve. You know, I was an American Chemical Society scholar. Um, I had just gone to Mali, which was a program that was selecting six students nationwide to go and I was the only one who actually was not yet in medical school so I had a lot of pressure in when I was when I made the decision to you know not go to medical school but I Molly it felt it felt right and once I decided to make the switch I actually dropped out of UCLA for a bit um did a little bit of soul searching um and then I was I was on Craigslist looking for a job <laughs> and I saw a company called Shopzilla 
which is an e-commerce company. And so this is how I get into, into tech and e-commerce. And they're hiring people who speak French because I, I speak French fluently. Um, they're hiring people who speak French to be part of their international team and do the content um, operations for the website. And so I apply, I get hired, I get in there, and I'm absolutely loving it. Now, I think two or three months or so after I joined the company, they were relocating to the international team to London. I was like, well, I don't want to go to London because I still plan on finishing my school. And I speak to, so we're allowed to, those of us who want to go, we're allowed to speak to a few managers. And I spoke to one who was running the search engine marketing uh, department for the company. And I absolutely loved it. I loved that I could be creative in terms of writing ads and coming up with landing pages and designing them while at the same time looking at performance and metrics and actually know that what I was doing was driven by numbers instead of feeling, right? And so it felt like my artistic side and my um, scientific side were both being used at the same time. And um, like they say, the rest has been history and I've been in tech for the past 10 years. Um, and it's a journey I've, I've enjoyed very, very much. That is amazing. And what a what a just kind of almost roundabout way of ending up in technology, <laughs> um, you know, especially right. starting out in cinematography and medicine. <laughs> and that's amazing. Um, so when you decided to develop Meagle 2.0, you know, did you, is this the point at which you started to bring on business partners or, you know, where did the idea for Meagle 2.0 come from? You know, obviously Meagle 1.0, you had some challenges with that and, um, you know, you realize that, that this particular type of platform was, like you said, kind of ahead of the, ahead of the curve. So right. when, when you decided to develop Meagle 2.0 and, and making, you know, shopping online and finding ethical brands easier. How did that process come about? And how did you actually go about figuring out how to, to code that and, and create the technology? And what did that look like? Yeah, sure. So um, as you probably know, everything starts with, with an idea and a concept. And um, once I realized that, hey, I think that, you know, first of all, it was a problem that that I had because I was trying to figuring I was trying to figure out you know what ethical brands are out there like Tom's like Wobby Parker like many others that I could that I could use and because I believe that companies have a responsibility to not just make money but also to invest that money towards the betterment of society and and our planet um, but. I go on Google and I can't find any. I mean, most of most first two or three pages are just articles or the bigger brands, but the little brands that are actually making big impact all over the world, I couldn't find them. And so having a background in marketing, I realized that, well, you know, they're probably struggling in terms of finding this visibility because the the marketing channels they rely on are totally saturated by bigger corporations and bigger companies. And so how can we create a platform that's dedicated towards ethical brands and ethical consumers. Um, and then the next phase was just research. And we spent months just combing through the internet, looking at different brands, looking at different products, figuring out who was making them, trying to figure out who the founder were and coming up with stories for them. 
And so we, we, we came up with about 450 different brands from different countries. And we said, okay, that's a good place to start. And then the next phase was, well, let's catalog them and put them in a product category that we can put online for everyone to access. And that was essentially the beginning of what we call an online directory. Um, so we built the directory, we put the brands out there, and we started sharing that with people and said, hey, this is, if you like, if you like to discover ethical brands, here are the ones we've come up with. And here are for each product category that you might be interested in, from your home to clothing to your kids, you can check them out here. And then I thought, well, that's one way to do it. But the big problem, I think, in this space is closing the gap between intent and action. A lot of people are going to tell you, oh, that sounds great. I want to shop ethically. That's great. But when you actually look at their shopping behavior, they don't do it. And the reason why is because it's not convenient, right? No one has the time to always go online and Google product for this, product for that, yes. and just yeah. start combing the web. And so we said, why don't we use a process like artificial intelligence and essentially create a recommendation engine that when people are shopping online, um, we can recommend brands that make the product that they're looking, that they're Googling online or that they're looking on, on Amazon or they're looking on a website uh, and serve that and give them options. And at the end of the day, they get to decide if they want to purchase or not. But at least we're solving two problems. The first problem is that we're making it easier for consumers to discover these brands without having to spend a lot of time. And the second problem we're solving is that we're allowing ethical brands to connect directly with ethical consumers, because if someone installs a browser extension, it's sort of like them raising their hand and saying, I care about shopping ethically and, and I want to discover these brands. And the problem the brands have is that right now they're talking to everyone and not everyone is at the stage of, hey, I want to shop ethically, which all should be, but not everyone is. And so right, being able right. to, to quickly you know, pinpoint who those people are and tell them, install this browser extension. It takes literally two seconds. And from there on, we can create that direct connection between them and brands and the products that they love and they want to shop. It, um, yeah, absolutely. It's such a need and help, you know, one of the challenges that people say all the time is how they think that shopping ethically is challenging and too difficult and expensive and hard to find and you know you hear all those excuses so the more that you can kind right. of break down those barriers the better exactly so when you guys decided to kind of develop this what is sort of your next long-term vision so you've created this browser extension you have you know meagle 2.0 which is live and thriving and um, you're continuing to work on it and grow what do you see as sort of the next steps the next step for us really is is um, figuring out is to deliver the product in a way that's easily can be easily adopted by as many people as possible. So just having a, just having the product, yes, it's great, but we still meet, I still meet people that haven't heard about us. I still meet people who don't know we exist, right? And and, and I still meet people who are have no idea what a browser extension is. And so I think for us, it's really figuring out what's, how do we, how, what, what, different, what different ways can we deliver this product so people feel comfortable using it. So right now we're looking at a mobile solution. So we're working on an app that will essentially be doing the same thing that the browser extension does, 
which will create um, a, a funnel through which people can directly um, go and discover and shop from ethical brands. Um, and the next phase of that is really just creating a, um, a true e-commerce platform. Because right now what we do is we redirect each visitor to the brand's website. But create a true e-commerce platform so people will be able to shop from a single page or a single mm. platform and not have to be redirected to different websites. That's our short-term plan. Ooh, um, and uh, so far it's going well. And we're, we're to, I mean, 2018 for us, a product map is, is pretty aggressive, but we're, we're super excited about um, getting to knock some of those things down. That's amazing. Yeah, I almost kind of envision it like a... Uh... I don't know if this is exactly what you're talking about, but almost like an Amazon for ethical brands. <laughs> exactly. exactly. That's, that's, exact, that's very close to where it's going to be. I think we're going to pay a little bit more, um, a little bit more attention on yeah. the design and the usability of, of the platform. Yeah. But, but the idea is that we want, we want to give people story about brands and products that are making, that are making the world a better place. So it's not, it's not going to be purely a, a shopping platform because, uh, you know, uh, surely you, you know, uh, you've probably heard of the Simon Sinek expression, like people don't buy um, what you do, they buy why you do it. And I think, you know, like you said, a, a, lot, of, a lot of people are saying, well, it's too expensive to shop from these brands. It, it's purely a supply and demand problem. Like if we show ethical brands that there are people who are willing to pay them and buy their products. The more people buy, the more price, you know, the, the more the price goes down. And so what we want to do is just really bring the two, the two pieces together and, and create an environment where people are, are, are shopping ethically. They're also engaging with brands, but then they're also engaging with other, with other consumers. And so it's, it's, it's an ecosystem where um, everyone inspires, um, people inspire each other. I think that is so powerful because that is, you know, as you as you said and as you know, that's one of the things that at least for me fires my passion for shopping ethically is is the stories and and getting to know the impact that you're having and you know, oh yes, that is a a really nice looking dress, but let me tell you about the woman who made it and the exactly. opportunity that she was given and, uh, you know, the, the way that she's now able to support her family. Let me tell you about right. the, that pair of shoes that was able to take um, a young man out of the gang life in the, you know, the slums of Guatemala. And, Absolutely. you know, you know, it, there's so much more to it. And the more that you can connect people with those stories, the more that people are going to start to understand that there is a person, a real person with a real right. name behind everything we buy. And right. it's so easy for us to separate, you know, when we go to a big box store and we, um, you know, we we just kind of buy these goods and we just don't think about the fact that there were hands that touched this item <laughs> between when it was, you know, when the cotton was grown in the ground, the time we purchase it in the store. Um, I read somewhere that the average shirt, about a hundred hands touch the average shirt between the time the you know, the, the fabric is, or the, you know, the material is sourced all the way till the shirt is sitting on the shelves in a store, a hundred hands and, um, or a hundred sets of hands, I guess I should say is, right. you know, so a hundred right. people. I mean, that's, it, it kind of can, it 
it boggles my mind that people don't necessarily understand that. Um, right. And so, but then we think about at the end of the day, like, well, how was that person treated? Were they paid fairly? Did they have access to clean water? Did they have access to um, the restrooms? Did they were they able to take a break? Um, are they given? Are they paid overtime? Are they able to send their kids to school? Do they even have right. the opportunity to see their children? Um, right. You know, so many uh, garment workers in factories, you know, abroad, you know, sometimes. The, the mothers, they work in, you know, the main cities and they're, they never get to see their children because they have to send their children to live with their parents in the rural villages. And, right. you know, I mean, I just to be able to afford it. Right. Right. And it's um, but it's such it's such an important issue and obviously something that I care about. It's obviously something you care about. Um, and yeah. so I actually I want to go back a little bit. Um, you know, you you mentioned that you grew up in Cameroon. Um, mm-hmm. What was childhood like for you? And, you know, did you always have, you know, even as a young child growing up in Cameroon, did you always have, you know, sort of this attitude or, or passion about, uh, you know, serving others? Or were you kind of the kid that that looked out for everybody else? You know, what what was that like for you? Yeah, my my so growing up, my life was amazing. Um, you know, I uh, my, like my, my dad was, um, you know, like an upper middle class man. I, so I, I lived a very, a very comfortable life, but obviously I, I lived a life where I was, I was exposed to people who didn't have as much as I had. Um, so I think it's a little bit of combination of nurture and nature. I personally, I think I'm, I'm a very empathetic person. Um, whatever I do, I always try to look at how it affects other people. And I try to put myself in other people's shoes and and so you know having having that mindset as a child it it's it's always made me more aware of the the issues or the or the problems that are going around the world and, and I've always had the desire to try to solve as many of them as I can um, and so obviously growing up in you know partly in Africa and 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 seeing the disparity between people who have and people who don't have. You know, some people are okay with that, but I, I never, I never, I, I never was. And so, um, from that point on, it's always been a personal journey of mine to figure out ways that I that I can give back, to figure out ways of, you know, the things I've been so fortunate to experience and and to receive and figure out, you know, and how how can someone else, how can someone else experience those same things? How can someone else experience happiness, right? And you talked about, you know, the, the, the women working and what, what type of work conditions are. Um, and it, it, a lot of those things that people start companies and they don't even know or they've, or they've just experienced that over, you know, a weekend traveling somewhere or holiday vacation somewhere and that inspires them to do something. I got to live through that for years. I get to see that, yeah. you know, on a daily basis. And so for me, this the, the inspiration did not just come from, I spent two weeks on vacation somewhere, right? But just really got to see how a lot of people struggle and, and, and understanding that the problem we have today in the world is not that we don't have enough resources, is that we, we, we're not allocating those resources properly or, or that people have become too selfish, right? We want too much and we don't, and we don't want to give away. Um, and, and it's been a constant battle of figuring out how can we how can we sort of level the playing field? How can we make sure that people live with dignity, that people can take care of their kids, that people can afford, you know, to pay medicine to for their children when when, when they're ill? 
And, and I think, you know, until we collectively, and I think we headed in that direction, we collectively start thinking of each other as, for lack of better words, as part of the same family, as part, as part of mm-hmm. the same human family, then, then we will not be able to really overcome a lot of these challenges. But we're seeing that with this generation and the, and the millennials, more and more people are starting to care and more and more people wanting to see business as usual be replaced with good business. Right. And, and it's and personally to me, you know, it's it's an absolute privilege to be to be part of that and to be and to feel like I'm creating I'm creating solution to to a big problem. I agree. I love what you said about we need to start collectively thinking of each other as part of the same human family. And right. that is, you know, that is such a it's an aspiration that I think so many of us have, but a lot of people have a hard time understanding. And, um, you know, I think beginning to get to the point where, you know, obviously we are all different. (laughs) We're different races. We're different genders. We're different, uh, you know, socioeconomic statuses. We're different religions. We have different beliefs. Um, But just like in any family, no two people in the fa- in in a family are the same and but yes. the moment that we begin to understand that you know we were all created and we were all put here for a reason um mm-hmm. you know and you know you can get philosophical of why are we here and you know you right. can ask those kinds right. of questions but we're we're obviously here on this earth at the same time for a reason and right. rather than trying to you know make it a you versus me or create mm-hmm. these um you know these divides and they exist everywhere they exist here in the united states obviously and you know just the realities of the racial and religious tensions that we feel here right. in the united states and even in you know i mean i've i've only spent you know time in um, I've spent a lot of time in Kenya and um, the, you know, the, the the different tribes that they have in Kenya. Use, I think. Oh, and, oh my goodness. Right. Yes. Yeah. They have. Yeah. Um, it's it's crazy. And the last time I was there um, in January of 2017, um, you know, they were talking about the upcoming election, which obviously, you know, we saw what happened on the news this year with with the all the challenges there. But yeah, you have uh, the Kukuyus against these guys and then against these guys. And, and, you know, some of them were explaining to me that, you know, you know, they can even tell just by the way somebody pronounces a word, what tribe they're from or how they carry their baby. Um, I didn't even know this, that the way that moms wear their babies, like with the way they, they tie the, the blankets or the, um, the wraps, is uh, tribal based. I had no idea. Like I'm just like I thought it was just mom moms carrying their babies, but they literally right. sum people up just by the way that they see how they're carrying their child, or the way they pronounce a word, or the way they're wearing a particular type of clothing, and they know that they're from that tribe, and they won't talk to them. And right. you know, sometimes we don't. You know, and then you obviously you see what, what goes on in the Middle and these East. Are people and, from the same country, like yes! you know, like yes! <laughs> like it's not like they're two different countries. They're right. Like, they all share the same passport, the same. <laughs> nationality right Right. and it's but it's everywhere and it's you know it's in kenya it's in the united states it's in the middle east it's in um asia you have you know all these different types of you know tensions between these groups when at the same day when you break down the titles or the labels that people put on each other we're all the same like we we all bleed what is it like from the movie dodgeball we all bleed the same blood like we all you know our blood is red at the end of the day and uh you know but anyway i just 
the more that we can start to see people not as labels, but as people, as fellow brothers and sisters, you know, we, I think that is what's going to really start to make, you know, not to sound too, you know, fluffy and cliche, like, you know, but like it really is what's going to make the world a better place because the less that we can label each other and the more that we can just genuinely support each other. And like you were saying at the beginning, when you, when you spent time in Mali and you realized how selfless those people right. are and how generous they are. Um, you know, and, and when I've spent time in Kenya, I mean, they are some of the most generous people in the entire world and they will literally give you the only shirt they have off of their back if they think you need it. And right. how in the West we can sometimes be so consumed with our stuff and our status and we forget yeah. of we forget how how blessed we are and how we should be using the resources that we have been blessed with to bless other people and serve other absolutely. people absolutely and when i, I mean I, I i i struggle with that when i was in mali and and it wasn't like i hadn't been in africa before right like mm-hmm. i i I'd, mm-hmm. I'd lived in africa but mm-hmm. i you know been in the us for for a couple of years and i went back to mali and and i was sleeping i was working with doctors and we were sleeping on the floor you know, we're all eating in the same pot, like 11 people all eating in the same pot using our hands, right? It, but it was, such an, it was such an amazing experience. And to look at those people and see that, you know, you know they don't have, at least to us, right? Like, we, we, like because every, we define everything based on the materialistic things that are part of your life. Whereas over there, it's really, it's a lot more about the spiritual thing. It's a lot more about spending the camaraderie or the community of spending time with other people. Um, and, and I honestly think that's why they're able to give so much, even though we think they have nothing. And in a lot of times, that's why we're able to give barely anything, even though we have so much, because we can't, we don't even value what we have. Um, but I, you know, I, I think, I think, I think that's slowly changing. Um, I think more and more people are choosing to be aware more and more people are choosing to, to, to act instead of just wishing. Right. And, 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 and it's, it's step by step that we, that we, that we get to achieve these things. But um, I, I tell people my, the vision of, of what I have for Meagle may not even be achieved in my lifetime, but to create the spark that, fuels that movement mm-hmm. at least from a technology technological side that makes it easier and people feel like well i feel like now technology is sort of aligned with my own personal value yeah. um brings brings me great joy and and, and the rest will we'll, we'll see where it goes that's amazing luke i just think that uh what you are doing is so needed and uh thank you for you know just pushing through the challenges that you faced and um, just being so committed to this mission and, and making, making the choices that people make when they're, you know, shopping easier and, um, and, and how that impact really does have a ripple effect on all around the world. Um, So just thank you for what you're doing. No, I, I really appreciate it. And thank you for, for giving me a platform um, to express my ideas as, um, hopefully as eloquently as I did today. Absolutely. Um, I absolutely appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Well, this is the part of the show that we just transition a little bit before we go uh, to where I just get to know you a little bit more and I ask you some fun questions. Are you game for that? 
I am absolutely game. Awesome. So this is where this is what we call I don't know. It's the informal lightning round. I don't know. <laughs> my my husband who edits my shows he gets to insert a fun sound effect which transitions us into said lightning round. So are you ready? I am ready. Awesome. So for my first question is, I figured, you know, I'd love to know that since you work in this space, and I'll be honest, you know, when I spend a lot of time talking with people about this, there are not a lot of men who talk about ethical fashion and ethical <laughs> consumerism. So as a right. man, uh, what who what is your favorite ethical men's brand? Do you have a, a favorite or do you have maybe a couple favorites that you love to support and you love to shop from for yourself? I, I, I have a couple of favorite. Um Obviously, Tom's has been we sort of kicked off this this journey for me, and so it's a brand from what they started doing with their shoes, and then the um, the eyewear. Um, I I really just subscribe to their business model, mm-hmm. um, so I really like them. Um, Warby Parker, mm-hmm. again, I I really like. Um, it's so funny now that I have to like cite all of them. It's like, <laughs> You know, Patagonia, oh, yeah. uh, that, which does an amazing amount of work in, in protecting the environment. Mm-hmm. And and I think, and they have some really, really cool campaigns that they do that gets people to not just shop ethically, but to actually understand the impact of, of their behavior. Yeah. Um, I, I like them a lot as well. And last one, but not least, Fjord Raven, which is to Ooh. give some love to... Uh, to a brand who's not American, who is a Swedish brand. And um, what they do is um, when you buy their product, they, they protect, um, they invest into protecting the Arctic fox. Oh, wow. Um, yes. So how I just do you spell to give that some company? Scandinavian love, put some Scandinavian, Scandinavian love out there. Yeah, what, how do you spell the name of that company? Because I, I need to write this down. Oh, Fjol Raven, F-J-A-L-L-R-A-V-E-N. Yeah, I would never have guessed that. So <laughs> I'm glad I asked mm-hmm. you how to spell it. Well, Molly, that's that's what spending like six months just you know looking at the internet and figuring <laughs> out what brands are out there. That's that's what you come up with. I love it. Um, okay, so next question: Which fictional character do you think would be the coolest to meet in real life? So any fictional oh. character can be from maybe uh, movies or books. Oh my goodness, this is a tough one. All right, so. <laughs> I am a huge, huge Iron Man fan. Oh, I love it. So I think maybe because like I just wish I was so wealthy that I could just do whatever <laughs> I want with my money and help people, um, <laughs> and just fly in fancy like you know metal suits. Yeah. But uh, it would have to be a toast between uh, Iron Man and Batman. And Batman, yeah. I think uh, yeah, Batman's a pretty common one. I feel like I hear, but Iron Man, that's a good one. I love it. Um, yeah. What is the most interesting thing you have read or seen this week? Oh my goodness! What's the most interesting thing I've read or seen this week? Uh, well, does it have to be okay? Uh, just did, uh, yesterday, I was watching um, a video, and I'm so sorry because it's going to be slightly political, but it was about the whole tax situation in the United States. Mm-hmm. Am I allowed to talk about that? Yeah, that's okay. Okay. And it, so, like, the whole tax situation, like, the corporate tax, and one thing that absolutely amused me was that um, the newscasts were saying that eventually, you know, the tax bill that we're trying to push is going to is going to benefit um, only the wealth here, but it's being sold as something for all Americans. And it just made me chuckle a little bit because 
I, I was like, why is it that we're always creating things that go against our own interest? And then we tend to, you know, confuse people and, and make them vote against, against their own personal interests. So that was the most interesting thing I saw. And I am so sorry that it's political, no, but it's okay. I sort of feel like, you know, hey, paying taxes is a big part of who we are as, as Americans yeah. and, um, and, and, and fuels a lot of government programs that, that some people need. And I feel like we can do a much better job um, in making sure that, you know, Americans that need it get their help. Yeah. that they, they need. All right, so we got we're now we're kind of into more the lightning round part lightning part of the lightning round. I don't know if that even makes sense. <laughs> but okay. um, so I keep my answer super short. Yes, I'm well I'm going to go it, these are just either or questions um or just kind of like one word answer type questions. Okay. So, are you ready? Yes. <laughs> All right. Hot pretzels or nachos? Nachos. Nachos. I like it. Iced or hot coffee? Iced. Iced. Netflix or Hulu? Oh, Netflix. <laughs> uh, do you watch something live or recorded so you don't have to watch commercials? <laughs> oh, you know the answer. Of course I watch something recorded, recorded. so I don't have to watch commercials. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite type of music? Anything with drums. Oh, me too. I love, love, love drums. My husband makes fun of me because I one of my I love to watch videos or um, hear um, like college drum lines. Right. Like I love I love a good drum line or some like African drums. Like I oh I love it. Give yes. me give me Afro all the drums. Beat. That's yes. exactly what we're talking about. Yes. yes. Yes, yes, yes. Give me it all day long. I love it. Uh favorite type of food? Do you have like an um, you know, an international food that is your favorite? Yeah, Thai food oh. and French food. Oh, French food. I you know, I'll be honest, I don't know that I've really had much French food, but I do love really good Thai food. Mhm. Sugar or chocolate I've... chip cookies? Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> chocolate chip cookies. Chocolate but chip... the soft ones, the soft ones, not the hard ones. <laughs> the yeah, soft, warm chocolate chip cookies. Yes. And last one, uh books or movies? Movies for sure. Movies. I love it. Uh, Luke, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for your time today and uh, for coming on the show and just sharing all about your story and uh, Meagle. And I'm just going to be rooting you on and I can't wait to see uh, where Meagle goes from here. Thank you so much, Molly. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Do you ever meet those people that just make you want to be a better and smarter and do more good in the world person? <laughs> Luke is one of those people. He is a brilliant man, and I'm so encouraged by him, and I admire what he is doing so much. I loved talking with him, and he also just seems like someone that would be awesome to be friends with and hang out with. Be sure to give Luke and Meagle some love on social media this week. I will have all of the links and information in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you are a first-time listener of the show, welcome, welcome, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives of past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners and people who are literally changing the world. And if you are a regular listener of the show, your support truly means the world to me. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Radio Public, Stitcher, Overcast, whichever podcasting app you like the most, and make sure you are subscribed to the show, and to also leave us a rating and review. Those ratings and reviews really just help me to know how the show is personally impacting you, and it also tells other people what this show's about. 
If you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag Business with Purpose podcast or tag me at Still Being Molly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose. Oh,